Welcome to the Healing Trauma Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Monique Coven. I'm the host. I'm a certified trauma recovery coach. I've worked for over 25 years as a social worker, and I'm a survivor. The Trauma Healing Podcast is for those who are healing trauma and finding ways to navigate through this messy, uncomfortable, and challenging recovery process. The intent of the podcast is to provide helpful information to validate, inspire you, support you on your healing recovery journey. You're going to hear stories from other survivors, trauma experts, and trauma therapists in the field that will provide information on effective trauma healing modalities, tools, techniques, skills, all in hopes of helping you heal. If you'd like to find out more information on trauma recovery healing, please go to my website at www.cptsdcoach.com. I also have an Instagram and Facebook page at cptsdcoach. everyone. Welcome back to this week's episode. So I am so excited to share this week's episode because it is with Pat Odgen and she is someone that I greatly admire and love her work. It has had such a profound impact on trauma and how we can heal trauma. So for those of you who don't know who she is, Pat Odgen is a pioneer in somatic psychology. She's the creator of the sensory motor psychotherapy method and the founder of the Sensory Motor Psychotherapy Institute. And so her work is really foundational in teaching us about why the body has to be involved when it comes to healing trauma. So I got to ask her different questions that I thought would be helpful for you. And I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoy talking with her. Hi, Pat. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. I am so excited to have you here. I, I love your work because it is so helpful when it comes to working with complex trauma. And I'm I'm just, I'm just so honored and uh, I want to make sure that I use this time and ask the right questions that people would want to ask you if they were sitting right, right there with me. So um, I guess I would like to start with talking about, you know, when we think of complex trauma, we traditionally have tried to understand it cognitively, you know, the reasons what happened. And yet, you know, we're often stuck with many of the symptoms and it's not really moving or going anywhere. And it wasn't until we started understanding about the body and its responses that, oh, there was some connection there. So my first question to you is why, can you tell us why the body has to be involved when it comes to healing complex trauma? Mm-hmm. Well, any kind of trauma affects the body first and foremost. Um, so the body is strongly impacted. Uh, and when, when we're threatened, 
what happens is that our instinctive survival responses are stimulated. Cry for help, bite, flight, freeze, and pain death. And in complex trauma, you know, it happens repeatedly. It can happen developmentally at vulnerable ages, but can, it can also happen in adulthood with systemic oppression, refugee status, immigration, you know, things like that. But when it's repeated and there's not, the body is overpowered or unable to really complete the responses, uh, then they, they develop, we develop patterns in our body that have to be resolved somatically in my mind. Like you can try to resolve them cognitively or even emotionally, but the root of it is in a dysregulated nervous system and, and defensive responses that have lost their flexibility. And for years, you know, I learned how to work with trauma kind of more just with emotion and with, with beliefs, like helping people understand cognitively that they were safe now, but that doesn't really get down to the body. Um, and, and with ongoing trauma for people who are marginalized or oppressed, uh, the trauma is not over anyway, it's still continuing. So uh, the, the, the resolution has to involve the nervous system and the somatic system of the body. Okay, so yes, because, because we know that it is that overwhelm, that wordless experience. Um, so then for somebody who has been through repeated for example, childhood trauma, where they were constantly in fight and flight, constantly didn't know when the next shoe was going to drop, or maybe was in a situation where they wanted to get out and run and they couldn't. So their body, let's say over and over again, got mobilized, was ready to go. They weren't able to complete it. Here they are now in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and they're still feeling it. So how do we begin to heal that kind of trauma? Well, what happens is, you know, the wisdom in our bodies is just incredible. And we will automatically adapt to conditions. So if a child is growing up in a traumatogenic environment where they can't escape, I mean, children are basically prisoners, you know, that's in a, in a healthy situation, that's not a problem, but in an abusive situation, it is. They can't get away. They can't get cry for help because the caregivers are often the perpetrators and they're not strong enough and big enough to fight back. So their only options are to go into a freeze, which is a tense, you know, like you have a lot of hyper arousal, but it's frozen in there, right? It doesn't, it doesn't really move. And a lot of children live in that kind of terror where they just feel frozen and terrified. Or it can drop to a hypoaroused state where you, your body just collapses. And these are all instinctive. These are not mitigated by our thinking brain. Um, so the wisdom of the body is that we will develop patterns that have worked in the past. So if a hypoarousal collapse has been your only option as a child, that will continue uh, in adulthood because we have this ability 
instinctively to do what has worked in the past. Um, so in therapy, we want to restore flexibility in the system. We want to recalibrate the nervous system and restore more adaptive defensive responses. And the thing for people to remember is that because these are instincts, um, all the responses are still incipient in our body. They're still alive in our bodies. So it's not that someone doesn't have the capacity to defend themselves now or set a boundary or get, get over the, the immobilizing responses of freeze or dorsal vagal. It's just that the pattern has kind of solidified. So in working with people like that, we look for and help them discover from the body those impulses to defend themselves, to push away or to run away or to cry for help. Uh, because they will come up in therapy because their instincts, they will come up. And then, you know, Pierre Genet talked about completing the responses. He said, um, Pierre Genet was a contemporary of Freud's whom I didn't discover until the 90s. And he was just brilliant. And he said, traumatized people have not been able to complete the actions of triumph over trauma which means you can't get away, you can't get help, and you can't um, fight back. So all that you're left with are those frozen responses. Or for example, some people also have hyper aroused fight responses where they have explosive outbursts of rage and so forth. And so, you know, that can be worked with as well through mindfulness to regulate that response, not to suppress it, but learn to keep the, the brain integrated when the anger comes up and to work with action, regulated action. So what we're really doing is just working with the body's intelligence. It's not, it's not uh, difficult, you know, because the body's so wise and I love it because clients over and over and over again, they discover these responses that they, that weren't effective in the past, you know, and they discover them. And I remember one client, she had been sexually abused since she was a child and had become a sex worker. And she's, she said, what's, what's the point? You know, I'm just always going to get raped. It doesn't matter. And her body was just, she said she didn't care really if she lived or died, you know, and, but her body had this action where her fingers kept coming up as like a, like a preparatory action for push away. So I held a pillow and she pushed on the pillow and she just said, it's such a powerful feeling. And she said, it gives me hope for the future. Like it gives me hope that maybe I could protect myself. Uh, and the brilliance, the brilliance of that is that it was already in her body. Her body was already, already telling me by lifting her fingers that she wanted to push away. She had just lost confidence in the efficacy of that action. So when we restore it on a bodily level, a lot of healing can take place, you know, when a client finds that wisdom in, in, in their own body. So of course, I'd love to ask you about changes that you've seen with someone who let's say was like, 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 like that client. Yeah. Um, 
were they able to, um, you know, suddenly feel, not suddenly, but start to feel more empowered in their life? Well, therapy is a process, you know, it's not going to happen in one session. Right. After that session, this particular client, uh, she never cried. She said she just never cried. And she said she was crying all week after that session, because what she realized was that she had, that should have been a capacity long ago. If she hadn't learned as a little kid that there was no point in even trying to fight it. So she was nearly 50 at that time. And, and, and so she was just experiencing a lot of grief. Yeah. And my colleague and, and uh, friend Anno Vanderhart once said that after therapeutic gain, there's almost always grief because grief is that bridge between past, present and future. Like she had to grieve for what she had lost. Uh, but then, you know, then it's a process. Like she has to then recognize her, the pattern of just giving up and collapsing. And she has to use her thinking brain to recognize it and interrupt that pattern. Uh, so, you know, it, that's why it's a process because these procedurally learned patterns, they don't usually go away immediately, you know. Sometimes they do, honestly, when, like I had one client, she had done so much therapy, but she'd never worked with her body. And uh, uh, she had been abused as an infant, actually. And in, in a few sessions of working with her body, she also discovered from her body this ability to just stand up for herself and push away. And that was restored in her, her body. And, and she had some pretty profound changes from that uh, because she'd already done it. She'd done a lot of other work. And I remember she, uh, she was kind of agoraphobic. She never went to parties because if you can't, if you don't have the capacity to protect yourself, you're not safe with other people. So many traumatized people are so isolated. And so this woman, I remember afterwards she said, you know, after that session, she said, I, I bought some new clothes that I felt good in and I went to a party and she said, I felt contained, like I felt good and present. And because, you know, if when, and I do see this a lot when clients rediscover, you know, an ability to set boundaries in their body and to defend themselves, then the actions of reaching out, these proximity seeking actions of letting in relationship become much more safe because, you know, connecting with others goes hand in hand with being able to protect yourself. So it's really, uh, it's lovely to see that kind of shift in, in clients, but we have to be patient, you know, and especially with complex trauma, there's often different parts of the self, you know, with different agendas. Like I was working with a woman um, uh, recently who had complex trauma and she longed for relationships. She, she didn't have a partner. She didn't have friends that she really could count on. Um, but she felt like the shield in her chest 
uh, that was protecting her and not letting anybody in. So we could see these two parts. There was one part that had learned from all the abuse to protect and not let in, but there was another part that really longed for connection. I mean, we're wired for relationship. Yeah, so we have to help those parts reconcile, you know? Sorry. So sorry. Yeah, uh, I just listening to you, um, you know, we're doing this, I can see you and I can see as you're talking about boundaries, you're pushing with your hands and the yeah. audience, the audience can't see that, but that is so important because I think it's that it's that physical pushing away that is making the boundaries a visceral experience, like a felt experience of go away. This is my, you know, this is me. This is you go away. It's very powerful. So, yeah, I, that's exactly right. That's, that's what the kind of thing we mean by bottom up processing. It has to be in the body because it's, it's, it's the instincts that have learned not to push. So yeah, the action of pushing and for many uh, people, they can feel the power of that push if, if you hold a pillow and let them push against the pillow, yeah. Yeah, um, I did wanna talk about uh, the freeze response because it's something that comes up all the time. People, um, including myself years ago, had no understanding. So just, uh, you know, my listeners on the podcast know this story, but, you know, um, when I was a young mom and I come from a history of complex trauma, um, uh, you know, I can remember when I left the kids off at, at uh, preschool, come home, have my agenda of things to do. I'd walk into the kitchen and I would literally be in a frozen position. I, you know, there'd be dishes and things on the, on the shelf, on the counters, and I could not move and I could feel my body starting to get activated. And then I would grab the car keys and run out, race out the door and drive away. And that would happen every day for years. And I had no understanding, but it felt familiar. Mm -hmm. I felt frozen. So cognitively makes no sense. Everything's fine. You're safe. It's just a few dishes, but something else was happening there. My body felt a sense of threat. Can you talk to us about, you know, what is happening when we are literally safe, but something, sure. our body's taking over. Well, I think that's a really important point. Like, I mean, I had, I've had so many clients who say, I know I'm safe. One client said, but my body's run amok, you know? And often there are triggers, I, I think that, that we don't often understand. They can be internal triggers, like we'll, we'll have, we'll, we might've, just have a flash of a, of a memory, you know, or uh, uh, even a rapid heartbeat can be a trigger or, um, uh, a, you know, a little bit of tension can be a trigger. So, and many times we don't even understand where that trigger came from, or it could have been something in your kitchen or something on the way home. There's so many things that can be triggers and we'll then, you know, we can find ourselves in those states. And it's interesting what you say, because um, if you were my client, I would say, well, there probably, you know, were two dysregulated instinctive defensive responses. And I want to say that in my first two books, I called them animal defenses. And I regret that now uh, uh, because the term animal is often used in a derogatory way to describe people of color. And I didn't realize it 
being a white woman. I just, I didn't realize it. But now that I do, I, I call them instinctive defenses. So I just want to name that. Um, and in, in your example, it seemed like there was one instinctive defense of, I think it was a freeze. You were tense, but you couldn't move. So it wasn't a feigned death where you were collapsed and couldn't move. No, I remember saying, my feet feel glued to the floor. Yeah, yeah. See, that's that's such a great example. But I mean, what's really wondrous about your example is that in the midst of that, you found a flight response and you ran to your car and you drove away. Now, both those responses are dysregulated, you know, and they're, they're rooted in the past. You were in what um, Anna Vanderhart would call trauma time. You'd been triggered into trauma time. And this happens so often for people who've had histories of, of trauma and complex trauma. So, uh, so many people think it's me, there's something wrong with me. It's, but it's not, it's your instincts saying, I'm gonna make you safe, yeah? So it's, when clients understand that, it's like, oh, thank you body, you know, thank you for making me safe. And so we just have to help your body come up into current time, you know? Um, but that can't be done, again, through the mind. No, no. I remember uh, at the time, okay, you know, pe people weren't trauma informed and I was trying to get help and I was explaining that what was happening. And I was told, well, you just have by professionals, you just have to make yourself stay. I go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and see, that's, you know, I, I, I don't ever like to criticize somebody's work. It just shows a, to me a little bit of a lack of knowledge because making yourself stay when you're in a terrified state is gonna wire the pattern in more deeply, you know? So no, I mean, how I would work with that, I would say, okay, let, let's go through that memory of when you dropped your kids off, how was your body feeling? You know, and you would have, I would ask you to describe it to me and then driving home kind of in slow motion. Like, let's go through that. When, does your body change? When is that point where your body starts to shift? And then let's pause right there so we can learn and let your body teach us, you know? Um, the, 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 the thing is, and I didn't know this when I was starting out in the 70s, I, I worked with a lot of uh, uh, women with complex trauma because I was an adjunct therapist for the university here in Colorado. Uh, and um, with women, back then they said, they called these women pre-orgasmic, like they couldn't have orgasms, they couldn't enjoy sex. So they sent them to me and I didn't know enough to know that uh, uh, nobody was talking about trauma then, you know? So I really, I'm very grateful to these clients and they didn't get the best treatment because I was like your therapist, I didn't know enough back then. But uh, I, I would uh, go into the emotion of, of the, the memories and but when that's connected with trauma, those strong emotions, and they would call them vehement emotions, they're really designed to fuel uh, these instinctive defenses like rage and fuels a, a, a fight response and terror can fuel that freeze response. So we don't wanna go into the emotions. 
we want to find when your body starts to change in that drive home. I mean, it might be when you walk into the kitchen, you know, I don't know, but we want to capture that moment and then let your body talk to us about what, what are the impulses, what's needed. And this is where mindfulness really comes in, you know. Um, and sometimes people do have images of the past, um, thoughts of, you know, he, he's coming or they even hear things like one woman heard the sound of her father's footsteps up, up the uh, stairs and she felt glued to the floor in her bedroom, you know. Um, so we wanna capture those moments and then let your body kind of talk to us about the response that you wanted, your body wanted to make, but that couldn't happen at that time because it was, it wouldn't have been advisable. Your body chose the best response. Yeah. Uh, I just love that. That is, that makes just so much sense. Yeah. And, and I love that because it's uh, what you talked about at the beginning. It's about completing what wasn't completed, uh, which is a wordless experience because it's like, you, you were so overwhelmed, what you really wanted to do was just get away. And now, yeah. yeah, finishing that in the present. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and catching, you know, do you know that uh, term window of tolerance? Are you familiar with that? Yeah. yeah. And your, your listeners are familiar with that term? Yes, yes. Right, right. So we want to catch the arousal, you know, when, when we're threatened, we want to catch the arousal at the edges of that, the, the window. We're, and not too far over, because it's too far over, you're already in that default response. So we wanna, that's why the tracking, you know, as you started to drive home, how's your body and all, and then, you know, I imagine since you were in a hyper aroused freeze, there'd be a time when you would say, I, my arousal's going up, I, I can feel my, my heart rate's getting faster, I'm starting to shake a little bit or something. And that's where we'd stop because then you there's there's then options are available once you get completely into that glued to the ground frozen state options are limited yeah i'm so glad you said that because that was one question i was going to come back to because you know we often hear uh because you brought up mindfulness and i was thinking well how could you be mindful if you're in that activated state but you just clarified it by saying a little bit before that like the tracking yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because you're right, you lose mindfulness of the present moment when you're really super activated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So helpful. Um, let's see. So uh, this is just coming to my mind now. So then where do you feel like, or do you feel like cognitive talking about the experience? Where does that come in? That's a good question. And it does come in because uh, talking is reliving to some degree. So when, and, and you know, relationally clients often need to tell their story as well. So they need a safe uh, person to hear them out and to listen to it. You know, what I often tell clients is, you know, I really wanna hear your story and let's track your body as you tell it. So we can tell if it's getting too stimulating and then we can pause there and work with your body and then come back to the story because the story will 
make the body remember telling about I was scared of my you know my stepfather I was scared of my mom right away you're going to start to feel that a little bit or you know I got bullied at school well you're going to feel you're going to start to feel that threat just talking about it so um we want to help the body integrate as we go along so if we in my mind the healing, I mean, the relational compassion and feeling held and understood can come when a client tells the, the story, which is really important. Uh, but the healing from bottom up comes through that work with the body. But see, the thing is, you can't do the healing from the bottom up unless you have a therapeutic safety and rapport. So they really go hand in hand. Yeah. Yes, 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 totally. Um, yeah. Um, so what else would you like to tell us that you think could be helpful? Hmm. Well, <laughs> one of the things that I want to point out, because we've been talking about trauma that has happened in the past, like complex trauma, but that's over now. And uh, many of our clients are dealing with ongoing trauma, especially if you're in Canada, if, if you're working with Native Canadians, if you're working with immigrants um, um, here, if we're working with Black people, Indigenous people, uh, uh, asylum seekers, uh, or any, any domestic violence, you know, these conditions that are related to oppression uh, and um, racism, they're not over. So we, it, we have to understand that that's different. It's not like, oh, great, you were, uh, your trauma's over. So we just have to work with the after effects and help you move on. If we're working with uh, people who, who are oppressed and who live uh, in the culture that, I mean, our cultures oppress a lot of people probably more in the United States than Canada, but still, um, it's different because there's a need to validate that, that it's not over. How can we help your body navigate it, you know, moment by moment? Um, like my, my family, I have um, nephews who are black and, um, one of them moved here to, you know, be with me, lives here now. Uh, and he was stopped by the police so many times here in Colorado. My white son, I would think, was stopped maybe once this whole, the whole time he was growing up here. And so he has to, my, my nephew has to recognize that that's a trigger. Police cars are a trigger, they're threats. And if he, uh, 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 if his flight response takes over like yours did, I thought I turned this off. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Okay, now it's off for sure. <laughs> so if his flight response would instinctively take over and he started to run, it could get him killed. It has gotten many a black man killed. And if he was surly or talked back, or he could also, if his fight response came up, it could also get him killed or, you know, get a knee on the neck or whatever. Um, so he has got to learn to 
regulate himself in the face of this ongoing threat to preserve his safety. And he also has to learn how to um, uh, not let his arousal stay dysregulated afterwards. So what's the quickest way he can bring it back into that window of tolerance? Because if it stays dysregulated, it's gonna really damage his health and his psyche and just be, his immune system will be compromised and we really need a strong immune system these days, especially. So I, I think realizing that these oppressed populations, um, we have to understand that oppression and understand that the threat is current and, and help people learn to regulate arousal for their own safety and their own health. Um, so we, I teach, I, I wanna help people find the right somatic resource, which is like self-touch or a deep breath or you know, aligning your body, grounding your feet, whatever's right for your body that they can do quickly to bring their arousal back and to repeat that over and over and over again, you know, until it's like second nature. One, one person said, it's like training a dog. When my arousal goes up, I'm gonna bring myself in, bring my arousal down. So Pat, um, you just said a couple of them, but could you tell us, tell us one or two, uh, that one or two tools that could quickly, you know, maybe using the body? Uh, I can, but I have a caveat because everybody's body is so different. Mm. There's no one size fits all. Like mm -hmm. I've had many clients say things like, you know, my therapist always told me to take a deep breath, that that would really help me. And they would say, it didn't help me at all. It made me more anxious because often our diaphragms are, are really tight if we have trauma and try to take a deep breath of your diaphragm's tight. It's just frustrating, you know? And then the other thing is that, yeah, deep breath can stimulate that dorsal vagal system, that hypoarousal. But if that was the only defense you had as a, as a, in the face of trauma was to be, um, to shut down, you know, then it can stimulate more anxiety. So deep breath isn't right for everybody. Nothing's, no one thing is right for everybody, but, but deep breath is something to try uh, and see and see how it fits with your body. Self-touch can be really great, really a wonderful uh, a resource. Um, uh, but again, not for everyone. I had one uh, client where his own self-touch just traumatized him more. He couldn't he couldn't do it, but he could do a pushing motion. Now you can't do that, you know, if you're being faced by a cop, um, but you could, you could do that as soon as it's over. You could push against the steering wheel. You could push against the wall when you get home. Um, others are uh, uh, alignment in your body, like not collapsing, like just aligning your spine, you know, and taking up space um, that uh, lowers, some research shows that can lower uh, uh, cortisol. Um, grounding is, is another one. You know, even just smiling. Uh, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh writes about this, but it's also proven that just smiling can stimulate uh, uh, good feeling hormones and help regulate your arousal. If you tend to go into a freeze or a hypoarousal, almost any kind of movement can work, you know, like, like 
any, uh, anything. Go for a walk, uh, dance, just even move your body a little bit to mitigate that, that immobility. Uh, yeah. That's so, that's so great. Um, and you know, they say, and it's even something I recommend to people too. Uh, and I was wondering what you think about that. You know, the orienting response, really slowly taking a look. What do you think of that one? Well, it's something I wrote about a lot in, in, oh. in this book because, uh, you know, especially with freezing, uh, the orienting, uh, we have this natural instinct when, when we're threatened uh, to, you know, search for the source of threat. And when uh, um, that threat is not detectable or when it's our attachment figures or our caregivers, that response, that reflex, it's really a reflex can just get frozen. So uh, traumatized, people with comp childhood complex trauma often have a lot of tension in their neck. So the other part of orienting that, that you're talking about is more voluntary and it's extremely helpful where you can, look around and just notice things. Like I often ask clients, okay, just look around the room, pick, find something green, find something red, find something brown, black, you know, because it, it brings back some flexibility in, in the orienting. And it also, uh, uh, if you're looking for something in your present environment, it can bring you into the here and now. Another way to work with that is to find something Search until you find some visual image that is pleasing to you, whether it's the sunlight on the trees or, you know, the car in front of you, whatever it is, uh, that can also be a nice kind of orienting um, exercise. I love it. I love it. A lot of options. Yeah. Oh, I just uh, loved our conversation so much. I appreciate your time. It's been really helpful. So um, if people want to learn more about um, your work and some of the things you teach, how could they find out about your work? Probably going to sensorymotor.org uh, is the best way. And I, you know, I want to tell your listeners too, there's, there are quite a few free resources on that page. Um, some resources about parenting in the pandemic that was done by my colleague, Bonnie Goldstein, who's a child psychologist and, and just others that are, you know, open to the public. And um, so there's a lot of resources there. We do, I don't know if your listeners are therapists or lay people, but we, it also lists our trainings and workshops and webinars and so. Yeah, and I think you also have a directory on there if people would like we to do. find a sensory motor psychotherapist. We do, absolutely. Yeah, find, I think there's a, where you can click find a therapist and then they're organized by country <clears throat> and by province or state <clears throat> and by expertise, so. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful, yeah. And I, and I also have to say, she's got some things on YouTube because I know that I was searching for them and I, <laughs> I enjoyed them. So, all right. Well, thank you so much again for your time. Oh, you're welcome. Nice to see you. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to find out more about my trauma recovery coaching options and work with me, you can visit my website at www.cptsdcoach.com. Mm -hmm.